Welcome to the Shalhaba Community Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by the following message. This morning we're going to be launching a new series in our church, in our morning services, and we've called this series In Christ. This is a very powerful series. I'm very, very excited about this series. And um, over the next three months, we're going to be talking about all the different ways of what it means to be in Christ. An amazing idea. Amazing idea. The passage of Scripture, so it's going to be Sunday mornings from February through April, and the passage of Scripture that we're going to be focusing on across those weeks is found in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption. If we just go to the next screen. I talk too fast, it's a problem. These are the eight topics that we're going to be looking at over the next three months. So some really amazing things that we can really get our teeth into the Word of God, love the Word of God, and love what God's doing in our church. We're going to bow our heads and pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Have your way in this place today, Lord. Lord, we just give you our hearts. We give you our minds. We give you our lives today, Lord God. Lord, we just thank you for your divine peace, for your revelation, for your truth, Lord. We thank you that there is power in your word, Lord. We thank you that your word is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword dividing between soul and spirit and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Today, Lord, we pray, discern our hearts, Lord. Discern our intents today. Light the path before us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, what a massive topic. What does it mean to be in Christ? Phenomenal idea. And as you read the New Testament, there are so many places it talks about being in Christ. And as you can see from those topics, there's very diverse Ideas when it comes to talking about being in Christ. So this morning I have the privilege of doing the introduction of this series. Really prayed about what the Lord wanted me to bring for you this morning. And we're going to start from looking at the actual definition of the words. And because these words are words that we hear all the time, sometimes they can lose their meaning just because we've heard them so many times so I think it'd be really great to delve into it now some of these words I had to delve into lots of different sources to actually dig a little deeper to get a new revelation and meaning out of it what I believe God wanted to bring this morning so the first word is in a little word found in that passage of scripture which means in on at by with among it's a preposition Properly, in, on the inside, within, figuratively, in the realm or sphere of, as in the condition or state in which something operates from the inside or within. When we look at the translation for Christ, it's a Greek word, Christos, which means the anointed one. And in fact, this word, when it was originally written in the New Testament in Hebrew, was actually the Messiah, which means anointed one. So when we're looking at what it means to be in Christ, 
It's an amazing idea. It means to be in Christ means to be abiding within the anointed one, the Messiah. It means to be living in a person, this person, Jesus Christ. Wow. What does it mean to live inside a person, a person that we can't see? What does that even look like? Well, it requires a lot of faith. But I do believe there are incredible keys in the Word of God that bring us the truth about this this morning, that we can catch a hold of, and that this mysterious idea about being in Christ, we find, is not actually so mysterious at all. In fact, the Bible is very practical and gives us some amazing keys of how we can learn to live in Christ. I really believe to understand what this means, we have to go back to the Old Testament because when you look at that translation, the anointed one, you can say, well, what does it mean to be anointed? What's anointed? In fact, many years ago when I joined this church, there was always talk about the anointing, the anointing, the anointing, and new people would join our church. It was a very COC thing. New people would join the church and say, what's the anointing? We're going to be learning about that this morning, and I think it's a very wonderful topic and when I was praying about it I said Lord what what do you want me to bring this morning he said Suzanne I want you to teach on the anointing and I'm like I've heard a lot about the anointing I've never studied the anointing I wanted to understand more about what this anointing looks like what does the Bible say about the anointing so there's lots to be said about the anointing in the Old Testament the anointing in the Old Testament was referred to lots in Exodus and Leviticus where it's referring to oil and the oil was used to set someone apart to be holy before God, to minister to him. So it started with the lineage of Aaron, the priest. King David was anointed by the prophet Samuel. There's lots of examples in the Old Testament of being anointed with oil. And it actually says when Samuel anointed David that the Spirit of God descended upon David when he was anointed with oil. Ah, that gives us a clue. So those two words in the Old Testament, first one's anointing, which is mishka in Hebrew, which means ointment, the holy oil used in the consecration of the priest or a consecrated portion. When we look at the word oil, it means shemen, which means fat, oil, choice, fatness, fertile, lavish, oil, oils, ointment, olive, or wild. So we can see this idea of oil is like this overflow. It's like the abundance. It's like when you're really hungry and you get a lamb chop and you eat the fat and all. I don't know if anyone else is into fat, but I think lamb fat is awesome. But the fat... <laughs> Confession time now. I know we're starting fasting soon. I'm going to be fasting from sugar and dairy. So that is a challenge. It means no chocolate for 40 days, but good thing so this idea of fat is this excess you know it's not something that is is um you know limited it's extravagant it's abundant and in fact there's lots to be said about the fat in all of the old testament sacrifices hmm. so that gives us a clue as well the anointing was also referred to in the old testament representing freedom from oppression and we see that in isaiah Chapter 10, verse 27. It shall come to pass in that day that his burden will be taken away from your shoulder. 
and his yoke from your neck. And the yoke will be destroyed because of the anointing oil. So we can see the next layer here, we're seeing there's power in the anointing. There is power in the oil for setting us apart, making us holy to minister to him. Now in the New Testament, people were anointed with oil for healing. We can see that um, Paul, the Apostle Paul teaches us, if any of you is sick among you, to come to the elders of the church and they will anoint you with oil. And we do that in this church. We take that literally. We think that's a, a, an amazing principle in God. Not because it's a magic bottle of oil or it has any spooky sort of supernatural power, but because it's a prophetic act of faith of what the oil actually represents. It represents the power of God. And actually, as we are healed and as our minds are renewed, that action actually helps as part of the healing. It's a step of faith. So the Greek word for anoint in the New Testament was alipho, which literally meant to smear or rub olive oil into the body. And they used to do that for lots of reasons. Olive oil was used for medicinal reasons. It was used to prepare bodies for burial. And, um, and they also used to anoint their head with oil when they got up in the morning as a way of getting ready in the morning. So there were lots of reasons for anointing in the New Testament also. Jesus was anointed with oil by a sinful woman in the house of a Pharisee. You can read about that story in Luke 7. We're not going to turn there today for the sake of time. But we can see that this act was very offensive to the Pharisee. In fact, he said... If this man was a prophet, he would know that this woman was a sinner and he wouldn't be allowing her to be anointing him right now. And Jesus tells a parable and goes into that and you can read up more about that in the book of Luke chapter, chapter 7. But Jesus was very controversial here. Back in the day, even godly women weren't allowed in the temple. There was segregation in the temple. And there was a time where some Jewish rabbis taught that if a man even saw the little finger of a woman, that he had sinned. So there were some rabbis that actually taught that the woman had to be locked up in a house all day and was never allowed out. So there was a lot of religion in the, in the Pharisees and the Jewish religion. Different rabbis taught different things. You can read about that when you study history. So this was a very controversial thing that Jesus allowed to happen. That not only... Was it a sinner? But it was a woman who anointed him. And Jesus did that to illustrate that what matters to him is the heart. And he could see that she had a repentant heart. And then we see in the other Gospels that this woman was actually Mary, Lazarus's sister, who Jesus raised from the dead. And they went on to have an amazing relationship with Jesus. See, in the midst of that, you know, she gave of her excess. She gave of, of something that was very costly to her to anoint Jesus. Jesus, the anointed one. And that anointing at Bethany was the anointing of Jesus. Then there's another idea in the New Testament where it's actually referring to the anointing. And the anointing is a different word to the word just to anoint with oil. It has a deeper meaning. 
Love us to turn to 1 John 2, verse 27 this morning. Amazing scripture. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. This is a new idea. This is a new word. The anointing abides within us. This is the word charisma. And the definition of the word charisma is an anointing and an unction. That same word is used in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 21 to 22. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So that we can see that this anointing, the anointing we've been given, is the Holy Spirit. So in the Old Testament where they used to pour out oil physically, we are now anointed with a supernatural and divine outpouring from God. It's a spiritual oil. It's a spiritual anointing. And it doesn't just go over us, it's within our spirit. Holy Spirit comes to abide within us. It's exciting. The power of God, everything that that represents is living within us. The power of God, the abundance of God, the blessing of God, everything that that looks like. We're going to be looking at seven practical keys of how we abide in Christ today. This first key we've just learned about, that we abide in him supernaturally through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our source of power and we can only produce God's fruit through him. We know if we are anointed by the Holy Spirit, if we are producing his fruit. That is how we know if we're abiding in him. Galatians 5, 22 to 23, very well-known passage of Scripture. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what the fruit of the Holy Spirit looks like. And we're not talking about an apple and a banana and an orange and a bunch of grapes like nine different fruits. These nine characteristics are the attributes of that fruit. So if we look at a strawberry... It's red and it's soft and it's sweet and it's sour and it's got seeds on the outside. They're the attributes of a strawberry. So these are the attributes of the fruit of the Spirit. There are nine things that are actually inseparable when we're producing fruit. Going to go a little bit deeper now. Have a look at this idea of abiding in Christ and producing his fruit. Love you to turn to John 15 this morning. We're going to be reading from verse 4. Do I need to change mics, Dave? 
Jesus is speaking here. John chapter 15, verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. Wow, deep passage of scripture that one, isn't it? That woke you up. That one was a bit louder, wasn't it? It's all right. It's for the, the bit of the message where everyone starts dozing off in the back row. Just kidding. There was no one today. But I do see you when you do fall asleep. We have shift workers in our churches, okay, I understand. This idea of abiding in the vine, I don't know, those of us who have been Christians a little while, still remember that song? Abiding in the vine, abiding, yeah. Anyway, I'm showing my age now. Anyway, we sing that song a lot. But it's an idea that is, is, has been taught over the ages, is, you know, what it means to abide in the vine. And it's an amazing idea, this idea that we can be grafted into Christ and to grow and to produce fruit. Now, when that scripture talks about if a branch does not produce fruit, it's be only because it's not connected to the vine. I'm into vines. I love vines. I've got lots of different vines. I've got bougainvillea. I've got wisteria. I had ivy in our last place. I've got a passion fruit vine. I want a grape vine. Ian's vined out. He is completely vined out. That's okay. As long as I keep them under control, he's happy. So I got an electric hedger last year and I'm in heaven. I get out there with them all. It's just great. We've got a passion fruit vine that's growing that we're putting on our trampoline because the net kept breaking and the kids kept running into it. And I'm thinking, let's do a vine instead. So we wrapped all this trellis around the, the, the trampoline and we're growing a passion fruit vine. And we only started it new year's and it's gone feral it's just awesome with all this weather and all the rain and this passion fruit vine's just going crazy we've also got a puppy his name is harry harry the labradoodle harry thinks that passion fruits make awesome balls so he pulls all the passion fruits off the vine and runs around the yard with them and attacks them and he jumps on the trampoline with them it's it's just so cute that you can't get angry at him. He's got this little scallywag face and he just sort of smiles. I was mad when he ruined my best pair of shoes though. That was very, very bad. He had this whole circle of five shoes. He'd made himself a nest in the backyard and he was there eating my best pair. And that was not a good moment. So what I try and do with this passion fruit vine is I try and train it up the trellis so the dog can't get the passion fruits and so the branches have all got to be trained a certain direction. But the vine is very fleshy and I notice that when I'm training, sometimes I accidentally bend or break the branch and it, it sort of can bend sometimes but when it gets like that, 
it withers and it can't live anymore. See, a branch on a vine cannot exist without being connected to the vine. It's actually impossible. So when Jesus is talking about if they don't bear much fruit, they'll cut off. It's actually what he's talking about is if we're not connected to him, the life source from him actually disappears. So this is an amazing idea that we can be considering this morning, which is point two. We abide in him when we are dependent on Jesus for our life. There is no such thing as an effective born-again believer who is disconnected from Christ. It's actually not possible. You cannot be born again and saved without being connected to Jesus. He needs to be the source of our life. He needs to be everything. He needs to be what we wake up to in the morning and the decisions that we make. And there's, there's a, a, a living out that happens in that. And His grace is so powerful. But we cannot exist as a Christian without being connected to the vine. So that means our relationship with Jesus. That means daily spending time with Him. That means allowing His life to flow through us. Now we know if we're connected to Jesus, if we're producing fruit. What does His fruit look like? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness and self-control. So we know that. So it's a challenge to us today that we would be connected to the vine. That we would acknowledge our need for Jesus. Mentally, emotionally, physically, financially, with the decisions that we're making. We're not this little branch out there existing. Just going to church on Sunday. We need to be plugged into the vine. We need him. We need his power. We need his life source. Both these illustrations refer to producing fruit. It's just interesting. Let's turn to Psalm 91 verse 1 to 2. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. My God in Him I will trust. One of my favorite passages of Scripture, Psalm 91. We are unable, but we come to Him. He is our source of strength. We humble ourselves before the mighty God and we come into that place of trusting Him, of surrendering to Him, of allowing Him to shelter us, of not trying to do it on our own out there, but we're acknowledging our need for Him. His shelter. He is our rock. He is our refuge. He is our shelter. He is our strength. We don't need to get it all together and have it all perfect to come to God. In fact, the Bible teaches us it's the other way around. Just like that sinner that came to Jesus, weeping, washing his feet with her tears, drying his feet with her hair. She knew she was a sinner. She knew she needed him. She knew she needed a revolution and a revelation of her heart for new life. And then we see that her life was such an impact and she walked so closely with Jesus while he was on earth. It's the same for us now, except through the Holy Spirit, we have that connection to Jesus. And as we come to him as a loving father, our Holy Father, we connected to our Father through the Holy Spirit also. 
Holy Spirit is here on earth. He's connecting us to Jesus and the Father in heaven. I explain it to my kids. It's like a Wi-Fi connection, except heaven's technology is heaps better than ours, you know, in the spirit. God laughs at our science sometimes. You know, we think we're so awesome, but, you know, he's so much more awesome. So we have this divine connection through the Holy Spirit to heaven. And in that connection, we can come into his presence. We can do this in many, many ways. But prayer and worship are the most powerful ways to come into his presence, spending time with him, surrendering to him, just like we did this morning, just in his presence, just allowing God to be God in our lives and acknowledging our need for him. So the third point we can see is that we abide in him when we find refuge in our Father's presence. Amazing. 1 John verse chapter 3, verse 24 says, Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he gave us. So we see we go a level deeper again that if we abide in him, we will keep his commandments. So first of all, you know, we've got to receive that anointing of the Holy Spirit, that infilling of God. We need to acknowledge our need for him, the need for Jesus as our life source. We need to come to him as our refuge. And then as we develop this daily relationship with Jesus, we can't help but to want to follow his commandments. How do we know what he wants us to do? Through his word. His word is the foundation of our faith. His word is the light to our path. His word is living and powerful and able to set us free. So if we are abiding in him, we're spending time in his word. And not just doing it as a religious ritual, but we are taking his word We're eating his word. We're obeying his word. And it says there again, through the Holy Spirit. It's actually impossible to fulfill the Bible without the Holy Spirit. When we try to fabricate it out of our own humanity, that's when we see what religion does. But a true revelation of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit actually through his grace gives us the power that we need to obey him. We can see that that point there, number four, we abide in him when we keep his commandments. Now, Jesus was very controversial and he said some pretty things that were pretty weird to the people of his day. And this next scripture we're going to look at offended people so much that the crowds just dissipated and just took off and left him. They just thought, wow, this guy's just way too wacky. We're not going to listen to him because Jesus was actually preaching prophetically but they didn't get that at the time john chapter 6 verse 56 says he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and i in him wow what does that mean well well, we've had communion here today so we've got a bit of an idea don't we you know we we take the bread as a representation of jesus body that was broken for us on the cross and we drink the cup that represents his blood that was shed to set us free but this passage of scripture here is talking about salvation it's saying that we are partaking of the work that jesus did on the cross and we are receiving his salvation 
You see, to abide in Christ, we need to accept that he paid the price for our sin. We need to accept that we need a saviour. We need to accept the sacrifice that he made to redeem us. So the fifth thing that we know is that we abide in him when we receive his salvation through the cross. 1 John 4 verse 16 says, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. We're starting to see an amazing picture here of what it looks like to abide in Christ, to live in Christ. If we live in Christ, we'll be following his his commands. We will be obeying him. But if we are doing that, we are also loving others. It's not about just following a set of rules. It's about that relationship with him. And out of that, what's the first fruit of the Spirit? Love. So we know that we abide in Christ when we love one another. And that love is a genuine love. That love is an unselfish love. That love is a committed love. That love is a love that does life together. That love is a love that lo- that laughs together and cries together. That love is a love that connects with people on a level that cannot be connected with any other way because it's through the love of Christ in him. In Christ. God is love. If we are living inside this person, this person of Jesus Christ, the anointed one, he is anointed. We are abiding inside that. And not only are we in him, he is within us. And most of these scriptures we've read today says, I will abide in them and they will abide in me. So we're covered from the inside out. He's abiding within us and we're abiding within him. And it's this amazing supernatural encounter with God that we experience when we choose him. So number six, we abide in him when we love one another. Love to ask the worship team to come just as we go to the final point. This passage in 1 John 4 sums up so much of what we've talked about today about abiding in Christ what does it look like to live in an invisible person reading from verse 12 no one has ever seen God if we love one another there it is again God abides in us And his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. Everything revolves around the Holy Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God God abides in him and he in God. Confession that Jesus is the Son of God. So the last point 
is that we abide in him when we confess that Jesus is the Son of God. Love us to just close our eyes. Just look away to God for a moment. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence that's here today. We thank you for the anointing, the anointing that teaches us, the anointing that counsels us, the anointing that helps us. Thank you for your revelation power, Holy Spirit. Thank you for your power that's in this place today, Lord. We receive that oil from heaven today. The anointing that breaks the yoke. The anointing that sets us free. The anointing that connects us to the presence of our Holy Father. The anointing that leads us to our Saviour. The anointing that leads us in truth and knowledge and wisdom. We receive your anointing today. There it is. Just receive it today. There's people here today that Lord's just starting to shine his light, showing you some specific things today. Just receive that this morning. Just allow God to speak to you. Holy Spirit is here. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Have your way, Holy Spirit. Have your way. Have your way in your people today. Revelation, truth, knowledge, understanding today, Lord. You'll teach us all things. There are some today that are feeling condemned with where your life's at. You know where you, you're not where you need to be in God. But in Jesus' name, Lord, we just break the power of that condemnation now in Jesus' name. But we thank you for the conviction power of your Holy Spirit. See, condemnation tells us that we will never be any good, that we're not worthy to receive the Son of God. But the conviction of the Holy Spirit leads us to Jesus saying, I know where you're at and I love you and I want to restore you to right relationship with your heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord, for those today, Lord, that you're leading by your Spirit, Lord. <laughs> Prophesy freedom and life in Jesus' name. There it is. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. As they believe in you, as they embrace you, they connect themselves to you, the vine. There it is. That's the source of life. It's just a surrender. It's a decision to choose him. You can look up just for a moment. So to be in Christ means to be abiding within the anointed one, the Messiah. To be living in a person, this person, Jesus Christ. Every single one of us was born into the human race, into a nature of sin. Passed down to us when the human race rebelled against our Creator. Disobedience against God has been dominating the human race ever since. With every human being born with an inner default setting of sin. But the God who created the universe loved the human race so much that He sent His Son from heaven in the form of of a human. He did everything in his power to give us the chance to come back to him. Reading from Isaiah 53 verse 3 this morning. God's innocent son Jesus 
was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness that he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on Jesus the sins of us all. Every single person has sinned in this room. We've all rebelled against God. Some more than others. But sin is sin in God's eyes. But the good news is that Jesus came and died in human form and was brought back to life in his divinity. This means we too can have eternal life. The good news is that God gives us the opportunity to embrace a brand new nature. His nature. To be born again into new life. To be adopted as his child and transformed into his very image every day that we are alive. It's not about embracing a religion. It's not about changing a belief system or adopting a code of morality or ticking the right boxes. It's about believing in a person, this Jesus Christ. Letting him into our life and entering into his life. We can invite Christ to live within us and for us to live in Christ. Let's bow our heads one more time as we pray. Thank you this morning as your good news goes forth, Lord God. Lord, your word has power. You know, you might be here this morning and maybe you've been attending church for years. Maybe you've been living this life and considering yourself a Christian, but you know on the inside that there needs to be a greater level of transformation in your heart. There needs to be a greater level of commitment. That you would be able to say, yes, today, I'm committing my life to Christ. I'm going to surrender my will to His and allow Him to transform my mind. I'm going to accept His grace to obey Him instead of trying to use my own strength to do everything right. You may have never made a commitment to Christ and you're in this place today and you want to respond to the gospel today and say, yes, I want to receive Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Saviour. I want to get to know the Son of God through the power of His Holy Spirit. If that's you this morning, I'd love you to raise your hand in this place today. Respond to God. Respond to the anointing. Respond to what He's saying to you today. We've got time to wait for you this morning. No one's going to see it. You're going to put up your hand and put it back down again. If that's you this morning, love to you to respond this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Stir us, Lord. Stir our hearts, Lord.
Guide us by your Spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name.